You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We are your hosts, Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman. Welcome back to the show. If you have listened and loved this show before, then hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because it helps us and our show out so, so much. Now, if you're someone wanting to or currently trying to scale a product shop, don't you dare go anywhere because today we are welcoming onto the podcast the gals behind the product boss, Jacqueline and Mina. Jacqueline is a fashion design and product startup expert who has helped launch over a thousand product brands over the last 12 years, including celebrity brands. Mina is a product business expert with a vast knowledge of Amazon and product-based growth strategies. She has a master's of business administration and over 15 years of entrepreneurial experience. Now, Jacqueline and Mina are the combined force behind the Product Boss podcast. They have grown a community of high-achieving product-based small business owners and have helped them scale their physical product businesses through masterminds, group coaching, and digital courses designed specifically for product-based business owners, ranging from startup conception to multi-million dollar companies. Together, their goal is to change the landscape of product entrepreneurship by connecting women around the world through a blend of real-life business tactics, creative energy, and modern leadership. Now, if you are ready to dive in and learn the nitty gritty scoop on scaling a product shop, you're right where you need to be. Today, we talked to Jacqueline and Mina all about how to market your products online, whether you should use organic marketing or paid ads, plus tips on how to use organic marketing, how to get started without spending an arm and a leg or keeping that overhead low. They also cover the biggest misconceptions people have about how to grow product shops and the biggest thing you might be overlooking when trying to scale. Man, it is packed full of information and helpful tools for product shop owners. So buckle up tight, grab a pen and paper, and let's get started. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. All right, Mina and Jacqueline, welcome to the Heart Nuzzle Podcast. We are so excited to have you. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Oh, we're beyond excited. We're stoked to just dive all into how to scale a product shop successfully and just dive it in off the deep end for all of our listeners <laughs> out there who want to maybe already are or want to eventually start a product shop. So for our audience who might not know who you are, welcome to the show. And can you tell us a little bit about yourselves like individually and then together, how you met and started the product boss and the shop one and five pledge and all of that goodness? Yeah. So this is Jacqueline. If you hear my voice, I'm the Valley Girl, even though I think Mina is sort of turning into a Valley Girl, even though she's in (laughs) Iowa. (laughs) I try to blend in. Amazing. (laughs) Um, So so my background, um, I am actually a fashion designer. So, um, you know, grew up and actually never thought of fashion design as a career. I I don't know if I thought elves were making clothes. I have no idea who I thought. Um, (laughs) But, you know, got out of school. I actually went to college um, and then decided to transfer. I was at UC and decided to transfer to art school, Otis College of Art and Design, and become a major in fashion design because I just could not find my major, you know, and my parents are all about me kind of taking a risk. I remember all my friends being like, your parents are letting you drop out of a UC and go to art school. I was like, yes, they are. Um, And so, you know, I I was hired out of school, became a designer at a major laundry, like Italian lingerie company. And then from there was hired by a celebrity. And actually it was during the time of celebrity brands. And as I was like 23, 24. And it was me and three other women and we were all under 25 and we were running this woman's company and we could not believe it. Like we had runway shows. Um, Christy Teigen was one of our models because that's when she was still younger. You know, we, we have these really cool experiences and I learned a lot. Like I was given a lot of opportunity at a young age to kind of, um, test my entrepreneurial self and run someone's company as if it was my own. Um, and so, when I left working for her, I actually have never worked for anyone else since because at 26, I started my own company, um, which was Designer Consulting Co-op, where I've done that for the last, I don't know, 
I don't know how many years, it's going to age me, 15 years, um, <laughs> launched over 2,000 fashion brands, accessory and apparel brands. And um, I even launched one of my own. So I had launched actually two. I, you know, young entrepreneurs were like, we can do everything. <laughs> so <laughs> I started like an eco-friendly dress line and I started Cuffs Couture, which was wearable wrist wallet. So when you went out dancing with your friends, you didn't have to bring your purse. And dropped the, the the dress line, had the consulting company launching other people's brands, and then really pushed into Cuffs Couture. So we were sold globally. We were on music videos, dress celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Audrina Patridge and um, Carrie Underwood, just a bunch of people. And eventually, you know, businesses don't always have to go forever. So I think if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're in a stage of life in your business right now, and you're thinking, okay, is this forever? It doesn't have to be. And so, um, with Cuffs Couture, our cell phones started getting bigger and people started asking, where do we put our cell phones? I was like, I don't know. You know, it was no longer these tiny, tiny phones that we had. And so, um, I started realizing that the market wasn't really appropriate anymore for what I was selling. And I was in a Facebook group of another uh, female podcaster. She had, it was for like six figure female entrepreneurs. And she had mentioned Mina's name on the podcast as Mina being, and she'll tell you her story, but Mina has a product business and that she sells really well on Amazon and that she could be an expert and coach people on Amazon. Meanwhile, Mina's hearing herself on the podcast and cringing and being like, I will never coach anybody. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I'm the extrovert in the relationship. So I reached out to her and I was like, hey, I'm thinking of liquidating my cuffs on Amazon. Would you mind chatting with me about it? And um, that conversation led to one, you don't liquidate a business on Amazon, you grow a brand on Amazon. And we became fast friends talking about business and products. And we had the same age kids at the time. And really like I had, we call ourselves biz besties. I had found someone who spoke my love language, which was business and even more specifically about physical products. And, um, from that we started the product boss, but I'll let Mina also tell her side. Love that. Yeah. So my story is wildly different from Jacqueline's in a way that, um, it just comes from, um, more of an educational background when I was growing up because my family is, um, they're immigrants and they are refugees. We were really pushed into schooling, really, you know, the, math and science categories and and things like that. So my background is that I have a um, a, a degree in advertising and psychology, and I have my uh, master's of business administration. And then when I got done with school, I really ended up starting my own business, which was really against the grain of what my family wanted for me. I didn't tell them, so that was helpful. Um, (laughs) You're like, they didn't know, so that helped out. (laughs) I still think she's a doctor. (laughs) No, they they know now. But when I first started, I um, they didn't know. They knew I worked with people, but they didn't realize they were my own clients. So I was taking on clients for. basically graphic design. I would do corporate graphic design um, for banks and car dealerships, that sort of thing. And so it was um, print collateral. So it was annual reports. It was newsletters. And I really developed that into a business where I would take on, you know, corporate clients and do, you know, their print collateral. And then my journey kind of went on and on. And then I um, Amazon started getting bigger and bigger. And I actually, my husband found, uh, this is when, um, for all of you that don't know, it it was when Amazon was only selling books and then they evolved and they started selling what was called private labeling, which back in the day was called white labeling. And so they're still doing it where um, sellers will import goods and they will put their own brand on it and they'll make their own spin on it and they will rebrand those products to sell them to Amazon. So that was where I first started. My husband found um, out about private labeling. He said, you could definitely do this because of your graphic design background, your business background, all those sorts of things. And so I dipped my toe into it and I learned a lot about Amazon. I learned about building a brand. I learned about fulfillment, shipping operations, all those sort of things. And then it evolved into where I understood about bestseller ranking and all these things about Amazon. And then I ended up um, uh, creating my own product business, uh, which I still have now, which is called Lil Labels. And that is a labels company that specializes in waterproof labels for daycare, school, camp, that sort of thing. You basically can write your child's name on you know, the label, self-seal it yourself, and it becomes waterproof, dishwasher safe, microwave safe, all the things. And I knew how to do that because of my commercial printing background and my business background. And it took off on Amazon. 
Wow. And so that's kind of the story of Little Labels. But during that time, as Jacqueline said, our stories interconnected. So she reached out to me because of Amazon. We really hit it off. It was really, a, you know, just an amazing thing to be able to meet, you know, your life slash biz partner on yeah. the internet. And we started Masterminds and we started the podcast. And now we have the Shop 1 in 5 Pledge. And it's just been a crazy journey of growth and um, it's been amazing. Um, and it's only been a few years. Wow. Wow. I'm actually intrigued. I know before we started recording, we talked a little bit about how like, Jacqueline, you're currently here in California. Mina, you're in like Iowa. I'm here in California. Lindsay's in like Kansas. <laughs> but even hearing your guys' story of like how you met online and just became instant biz besties, like that just cracks me up because that's literally like Lindsay and I in our story. So we're all officially best friends and <laughs> we're barely started with this podcast interview, but I can already tell this is going to be so freaking good. There is so much that y'all just said there that I like, I feel like we could unpack for I know. Hours. I'm like, like, <laughs> like where, literally, where do I start? Like, there's so much that you guys just said. But before I think we maybe dive into even anything else. Do you guys want to talk to us a little bit more about like the product boss and the shop one and five pledge? Like kind of talk to us about what you guys are doing together now and unpack mm -hmm. that a little bit. Yes, yeah, not our history. Um, so yeah, so the product boss, you know, really when we created it, we know that there are so many service-based podcasts out there and so many courses and coaches for service-based, but products and physical products. So whether you're a retailer, a, you know, a brick and mortar, you're a maker, you're a manufacturer, whatever it is, somebody who's selling something physical, there are different challenges that come with that. You know, they have yeah. inventory they have to sit on and they have to physically ship it. And it's so easy to start a service business a lot of times, you know, with technology these days, we can show up and start a podcast and coach people through Zoom. Yeah. Um, physical products take a lot of money. You know, there's product development and production. And like I said, holding on inventory. So um, at the Product Boss, which is the Product Boss podcast, just hop on over and subscribe over there if you like fun people that laugh and like to talk about business. <laughs> um, That's but, our people. Yeah, right? <laughs> we were perfect together. Um, so we really, we really believe that you can build an empire out of your living room. We've seen multi-million dollar product-based businesses grow from home. And, and also that balance, especially a lot of women in our community are, you know, whether they're starting their young families, they have families. I mean, it's women all across the board. There's also a lot of wonderful men in our community and um, just all, all people. Um, but the, the idea that you can balance it all. And what Mina and I really believe is that your, your business can be the vehicle to your dream life and lifestyle. So whatever it is. So even if we talk about you becoming a million dollar business, if that's not something that you want right now, that's okay. Mm -hmm. But let's make your business work for you, right? We don't want you to be the worst boss that you've ever had. Like we want you to be the best boss that pays you a lot of money and doesn't work you 24 hours a day. Yeah. Um, so the product boss really focuses on growing and scaling your product business. Um, organic marketing. We talk a lot about organic versus paid ads, um, visibility, and really like cleaning up your systems and, and really be taking a business that maybe might've started as a hobby and turning it into a real business. Um, Mina has her MBA, so she drops some gems in every so often too. Mm -hmm. um, the Shop 1 and 5 pledge is something we're really proud about. Um, we launched it in the fall of 2020 because what we saw was that the small business all small businesses were the hero. So the government was really stepping up to fund small businesses to keep them going. They're the backbone of the U.S. economy and ultimately the global economy, and they impact your local community, they impact your city, your state, and ultimately, like I said, the the national and global economy. So we launched the Shop 1 in 5 pledge at shop1in5.com. And that's to pledge to make one in five of your purchases from a small business online or offline. So I like to say it's like a day, you know, you're in California, I'm in California. So let's just say we're driving around and there's all the big box stores. And um, even if you go to Starbucks, right, or you typically do a drive through Starbucks and you're on your target run and all the places you're going to go, could you make one decision that day to support a small business? So maybe instead you find the local coffee shop and you stop by there. Mm -hmm. Or if you want gift cards, instead of going to Target and buying the gift cards there, or not gift cards, but actual cards that you've like a happy birthday card, whatever those are mm -hmm. called. <laughs> greeting card. <laughs> a greeting card. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I like, I know. Okay. But let's say you're doing that. Maybe there's a local like gift store that you can go into instead of Target. Now, listen, we love Target. We love Starbucks. We love all the big box places, but our goal is to help support the small business. And so in the Shop 1 and 5 pledge, we also created the small business shopping directory, which right now has over 600 small product-based business owners in there. So if you're also going to think about buying a gift, 
um, you know, graduation gifts, summer gifts, birthday gifts, check out the small business shopping directory because there are small physical product-based business businesses on there and owners and families that you can support um, by buying from them. I love that so freaking much, especially having a resource like that as people head into the holidays, especially like I know a lot of times when people are doing their holiday shopping, it's like, oh, okay, this year for all my gifts, I want to shop small, not even holidays. It could be any time of year, but um, I love that you have that resource for people to have small shops in their area. And even just the pledge itself, thinking about, oh, hey, like on my daily errands and in my daily life, like what choices am I actively making to support small businesses? And that I, I kind of wanted to ask you guys, especially like in the last year that we've had with COVID and the pandemic and all of that, you being so into the product like business, you, you talk with product owners all the time or shop owners all the time. How do you personally think, like, I feel like COVID has impacted the world so deeply, just like even culturally of like how we interact. Like a lot of things moved online, a lot of shopping moved online versus people going out to brick and mortar shops. Do you think like that has... A bene- is benefited product shops in the future moving forward? Or have you seen an impact in the last year? Like, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, we've seen a huge impact. I think for the most part, we've seen a really big blend. So while everybody has moved online, now the world has opened up, at least in the US, for the most part, it's starting to open up again. And people are starting to kind of get back to what their lives were before, but in a way that they've adopted all these new things. They've adopted, you know, going online and buying a gift instead. They've adopted adopted having Zoom calls as a regular normal thing or having local pickup as part of their um, online business or, mm-hmm. you know, really blending those two things together. The really big thing that we're seeing is that right now is the season of the small business. I mean, it really, like Jacqueline said, the small businesses are the hero. And what we're seeing is on the consumer side is that people want to buy from people. So as Mm -hmm. small businesses, we have to kind of step up and be those people, right? There is even online or offline that connection, that need and desire for connection that we saw come out of 2020. And we're starting to see more people be deliberate in making connections. And, um, you know, even if it's to hop on a Zoom call, but also their, uh, how they spend their money. So, while we are thinking of the pledge and and we want people to buy gifts on there for the holiday, it really is about a lifestyle. Thinking about and being more thoughtful about your dollar. We saw lots of social justice movements happen in 2020 that will, will carry over. So I think there's this uh, new adoption of of people buying from people more so. We're kind of getting back to you know that as as putting a face to a brand and then yeah. as well as word of mouth and and be and being more thoughtful with the, their dollar the the customers being more thoughtful with their dollars and the business owner showing them that they care about the same things as well yeah for sure well i would love to hear you ladies as i know we've been like kind of tossing around like okay product shop and product shop owners and you know all of that but can we just dive into like you ladies just dumping info on scaling and starting like a successful product shop. Because I know, like you said, there are so many resources out there for service-based, you know, entrepreneurs or providers or whatnot, but there really is like not the industry yet for product shop owners that there is for service-based. And I've even experienced that, you know, diving from service-based and even digital products to like physical products and launching a company of like that, I was like, where, where do I start? Cause there's just not the same resources readily available that there are for service-based. So while we have you ladies here, do you guys want to just start talking about, uh, any of our listeners who are wanting to start a product shop or currently trying to grow theirs or scale it? What are some of your biggest like tips, maybe your top three tips to kind of successfully scaling a product shop or successfully starting one even? Yeah, I'll jump in first. And then, um, so if you're selling to everyone, you're selling to no one. If you're selling everything to everyone, you're selling nothing ultimately. So what, and I say that because when I start, I've worked with so many startup businesses and they have big ideas and they want to do everything. So they'll come up with an idea. Let's say it's like, I want to create clothes for curvy girls, Um, but they will want to do 
dresses and bathing suits and leggings and every everything that they could think that this person needs, the customer needs, they want to create. Um, it's really hard to start a business that way, especially unless you are a millionaire with all sorts of money to dump into this business. Typically, what you'll do is you want to figure out a minimal viable product. So what is the thing that you know that you can sell, right? That there's either a need in the market or your spin on the need in the market. And I say that because let's we have so many candle brands that we work with that are uber successful. So yeah. it's not to say you can't come up with a candle brand, but you're if you come up with candles, for example do candles. Don't do bath bombs and room sprays and, you know, 175 different scents. You might want to come up with something really specific, maybe eight cents, 10 cents, 15 cents, one size jar. Um, And you start to play with that and see what people are leaning towards and what they're buying. Maybe there's a scent that just is killer and everyone's buying it. And then that's something that you develop into a smaller size candle or a jumbo size candle. And then once you're known for candles, you can expand into a room spray. So my number one tip at first is to really niche down and to figure out a minimum viable product that you can start with. It's going to cost you less money. It's easier to develop. You only have to source from, you know, one place. If you're hiring manufacturers, they can, they can do that. If you're learning yourself, it's one, one process, one product, and you lean into that and you really try and sell it. And then you start to identify your best sellers. And that's something that then you can create variations on. Um, but that's when your customers are putting their money where their mouth is, not just people that are like, oh, you should make, you know, tutus for my puppy. You know, don't <laughs> don't just make what people tell you, like, unless they're actually going to pay you for it. So yeah. I think that's my tip. Yeah, agreed. I think that, um, you know, a big mistake that I see also is that people think it takes one one thing as far as that, uh, this is all I need. This is all I need is Facebook ads. This is all I need is to go viral on Instagram or TikTok or something. And they don't realize that that when they're developing a business, that it is seasons of different things. And there's no such thing as an overnight success. You develop as your business develops. So as you start, as you first start, you need to do the research to see, okay, this is the business I want to start. This is the minimum viable product that I want to have. This is the customer that I want to attract. And this is the person that I want to be. So Mm -hmm. I think people overlook all those elements of when you start a physical product-based business, you definitely have inventory on hand. You feel alone in it. I'm sure the same way as service-based businesses do too, but you are literally sitting on inventory. So there is a little bit more of a long haul to it of connecting the dots for your customer, of attracting the right people, of getting a customer base, and really understanding that that is kind of the season of life that you want to be in. You know, there's a little bit of the hustle that happens in the beginning that you do have to show up more than you typically do. You do have to humanize your brand. You have to be in love with the process, especially at the very beginning. So I think that is my big tip of understanding how that all ties together. Do you guys have an opinion? I'm sure you do. On (laughs) like... When you're start when someone's starting a product shop for the first time, do you recommend having like a bulk of inventory on hand and then launching like your shop or or launching a certain product or whatever? Or do you recommend like buying inventory as you go? Do you have mm-hmm. a I don't know, there's probably different strategies for either of those, but I know with we've slowly started dipping into products for the heart, and Evie obviously has just dived into a swimsuit line and just we've been like slowly dealing with like inventory and all those things. And do you just have an opinion on which is better or maybe which is better for what you're doing? Um, Such a great question. And it could go a bunch of different ways. So Evie with a swimsuit line, which that's one of my backgrounds is swimwear. Um, that when you're when you're for a clothing line, for example, there's a lot of des- there's design development, fabric sourcing, cut and sew. If she's doing it all herself, right? Or let's say mm-hmm. you're sourcing in China, um, so there is a you do have minimums. If you're working, let's put it this way: if you're working with a manufacturer, you do have to hit minimums. My fashion side of my business, um, a lot I develop brand new collections for people all the time. And we need to figure out what the minimum order is because when they launch their business, they do have to have product on hand. It's hard sometimes initially, you can do 
pre-selling a little bit, or there's other ways to kind of start with a minimal viable product and and get people excited about it and potentially pre-sell. But there's only so long they're going to wait unless mm-hmm. they're on a Kickstarter, um, and and people go along that journey on Kickstarter. They probably want things within the next like four to six weeks. So if you're manufacturing you do have to have so many things in motion already that basically like it's coming. You can't get the orders and then place orders against it, at least when it's consumer facing. Um, So typically I would say if you're launching a business, you need to have some sort of minimum on hand that you're going to sell and people are going to buy what you lean into typically. So like, if you're trying to sell, you know, you have a lot of inventory of something, you lean into it, you talk about it, you talk about it all the time and people will eventually catch on to, to that. Mm-hmm. Um, other ways, like a made-to-order type thing, is only if you can kind of make something quickly. Yeah. Um, we have bakers that we work with, you know, people who make cookies, or even if you're pouring your own candles, you might make a couple of them. And if something starts to, t- starts to take off and you can kind of quickly pour candles and then ship them out within a week. It's not recommended though, because what Mina and I really want to focus on with everybody is creating processes around things and, you know, not always kind of being on call to your online shop. Um, and the only way sometimes where you don't have to pre-make stuff is if you're going the wholesale model, Mm -hmm. um, where you're going to sell to retailers. And then at that point, you're making a sample collection. You're going to market with that sample collection. They're placing orders against it. And then you have time to go into production and then fulfill in the future. Yeah. Amazing. I feel like there's so much to product shops that if, if a listener like has not touched it, like, like I hadn't two years ago, it's... (laughs) You don't realize how much there is because for a lot of entrepreneurs, I think the, I guess like the gateway to entrepreneurship and to, you know, running your own company is oftentimes like a service-based or it's a very small scale, like, you know, Etsy shop or something where you're not feeling like that absolute chaos of like, okay, dealing with manufacturer or, you know, big scale inventory where you're needing to fulfill out of a 3PL or anything like that that's starting to get like chaotic. So I love that you girls are just even kind of like starting to break down like this model works well for this or this could be viable for this or something like that. Because I feel like there's so much that goes into like product shops and e-commerce. Yeah. And I think the first run, and this is for anything, swimwear, accessories, candles, everything. The first run is always the most important. So the first run is where the most mistakes happen. So a lot of times, like if you send something to production, you'll initially see those mistakes or you'll see like something doesn't come back the way you want it to. So it's okay to have a limited quantity when you first start and to sell out because mm-hmm. you're testing and trying so much during this stage of first launching that there are going to be micro pivots that you have to do in order to get to where you need to be. So before you even jump into a 3PL, which is third-party logistics of shipping it out, you don't actually need that 3PL or to streamline it until your business has an influx of orders coming in. But before then, you actually need to figure out what Jacqueline was talking about, the processes or the workflows of how this all goes down. You know, Mm -hmm. so I think for the first run, don't be afraid to pay more and have a more limited quantity because at that time, you're still trying to validate your product. You're still trying to validate your idea and um, and see if people are, are truly willing to pay money uh, for your product the way that you want them to. You know, you're connecting the dots for them. Mm, this is, I'm just learning so much. I love this so much. <laughs> um, and I keep thinking of questions as we're talking. For somebody listening to this that maybe hasn't started a business at all, or maybe they've dabbled in a service and want to start going into product, I think, like you girls had mentioned earlier, product can be pricey just because of all of the inventory and everything that goes along with it. It is harder to just get in from the get-go for a, a low overhead. And so my, my question to somebody that's like feeling overwhelmed by that cost, or they just they feel like they don't have money to start like, oh, off the bat, like maybe they saw Evie that's like, oh, she did a swimsuit line or something like that. And it's like, (laughs) what is your advice for somebody that maybe doesn't have like a huge chunk of cash to pour into a startup? Like how could they start small, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think, you know, I love the minimal viable product idea. and, And there's ways you can do that without actually a physical product. So 
Um, let's just say, Evie, when she was launching, now she has an audience probably that she's launching to. So one, do you have an audience? And do they want what you were thinking of selling to them, right? Because like if, if you were, if you, if your podcast was to a bunch of guys and then you came out with a bathing suit line, <laughs> it should be a guy's bathing suit line, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so first think about your audience. If you want there's them to be, there to be some sort of correlation or, you know, like if there's a bunch of women in your groups and, and they follow you and you're some sort of you're somewhat of an influencer within your community. What do they like about you? Um, then I would say you start kind of posting content on your social that has to do with something you want to launch. So I was helping somebody. She came out of corporate and she wanted to launch um, a dried flower bouquet company. And there's all those dried flowers that kind of last for a year. And she wanted to kind of create a bouquet thing. And then it could be something that someone could bring to their office and kind of have on their desk. So it was really geared towards young women who worked, who wanted flowers, but didn't want to have to deal with ordering flowers every week because it costs a lot. Um, So I was like, hey, as you're building this, can you post pictures of bouquets that are in the essence of what you would eventually want to come out with and start to grow a following around those flowers and have people comment and really participate. And they come to you to see beautiful bouquets. So all of a sudden, the content that you're posting has to do with the end product that you eventually want to sell to them. And you see if it resonates. And you can actually, it's almost like market research as well, because let's say the red roses did really well. They're like, okay, they really like red roses. Let me post this again. Okay, they really like red roses. That should be in my collection. I've done the same with an equestrian brand I'm working with. She's launching teen equestrian apparel. And it's taken a long time in COVID to get her line out. So what did we do? We started posting, actually, okay, so that's one way, right? So one way is just images. See if they'll follow along, grow your audience, have them kind of give feedback. And then eventually you can launch a product to them because now you know there's people that are waiting to buy. Um, And you could go small, right? That case, you might have people pre-order and you'll get cash up front and you can invest it into the product and maybe they're part of this process. So they're willing to wait. It's a little bit like Kickstarter. The equestrian brand that I've been working with, it's a mom running it for a bunch of like 12-year-old girls technically. And I don't know if they're necessarily on Instagram, but what she ended up doing was she started creating content on social media around tween girls riding horses, bringing her daughter in, showing her daughter post, um, you know, jump with the horses. And then eventually what we did with her, so because she, she had a lot of her money tied up in the development and production of the apparel line, was she actually did on-demand Printing. So there's, I'm sure a lot of you know about it, but you know, um, you can order a t-shirt and not sit on inventory because what happens is there's these like on-demand, like Printful is one of them, mm-hmm. where um, it looks like they're buying from you, but Printful is actually fulfilling the order, making it and fulfilling it. It's very low margin for all of you where you won't make a lot of money, but it's a great way to kind of test a product without ever sitting on inventory. So she started really building the brand, building the the name, like People are buying shirts with the name of the brand on the shirts and on the hats and on keychains, and they're buying because that exchange of money, they just have to spend a little bit of money with you and start to buy into the brand so that when she eventually does launch this bigger collection, they will have bought t-shirts, they will have bought hats, notebooks, um, all the kind of print-on-demand stuff. And then and then when she launches, she's like, okay, I've got... It's amazing. She grew you know, thousands of followers and an email list and all the things prior to ever launching. And now when she launches, she has this warm audience that's ready to buy. So those would be my two tips. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think for you, Evie, too, since you do have a built-in audience, it's it's one of your greatest assets. The people that we work with, they don't tend to have audiences mm-hmm. already built in. And Jacqueline's, um, I love her tips for getting a warm audience that's ready to buy. But for you also, another strategy might be that you... Um, partner up with somebody that has, like if it's a swimsuit line, perhaps it's a, you know, slides or sandals line that you come together and you do a very special piece to start with or Mm -hmm. one of your collection, right? Then, or sometimes people do co-branding where it's like, let's say you bring the audience, you bring the design, and then somebody else does the manufacturing, right? Somebody like, let's, let's give the candle company again. So you have the audience, you want to come out with a special candle and then they do all the manufacturing and then you get a cut of it. So it's kind of affiliate in a broader scale of co-branding. That product is actually something special to the two of you. Mm -hmm. And so it really is helpful because you are able to leverage the audience that you've already built. And then also in a way test 
whether or not your audience wants that from you, you know, and yeah. um, you're able to bring the audience, which is your asset, and the other people bring their manufacturing skills, or perhaps they bring their own audience if it's, you know, a, if it's a, if, if it's a product brand that's a different, um, let's say it's, like I said, you know, slides or sandals, or maybe summer inflatables or, or whatever it is. That can yeah. be really helpful for understanding what your customer wants, but not having to throw a whole bunch of spaghetti at the wall. Yeah. If you are loving what you're hearing on today's episode, then we wanted to share something else you might love, The Heart Shop. It's our digital resource online shop for creative entrepreneurs. The Heart Shop is your one-stop shop for all of our online courses, luxury website templates, PDF guides, social media graphic templates, and illustrations. If you've been at your wit's end with your website design and you don't know where the heck to create a high-quality pricing or welcome guide to give your clients an incredible branded first impression, ooh, we got you. (laughs) We created The Heart Shop to serve you with the best tools and resources you need to successfully run your business. Just head to theheartuniversity.com forward slash shop and start browsing the goods. That's theheartuniversity.com forward slash shop and we'll see you there. Want to know what both Evie and I use for our skincare? Our absolute favorite non-toxic skincare products are without a doubt Primally Pure. Yes, if you've been searching for a natural non-toxic skincare company, you can actually feel solid about using, knowing that the ingredients won't harm you and are derived from nature, then I'm not joking when I say that you need to try Primally Pure. Evie and I have been using Primally Pure for our skincare for a couple of years now, and we are legit in love. Like, we love that every product has minimal, safe, all-natural ingredients that, I'm not joking, smell divine and make our skin look and feel healthy and beautiful. Yes, some of our favorite products that we've used from Primarily Pure are their charcoal deodorant, the cleansing oil, their lavender complexion mist, and their clarity serum. Like, Every freaking product of theirs, we're not kidding, knocks it out of the park as far as quality and making our skin feel incredible. For 10% off your order, you can use code HEARTANDHUSTLE, that's all caps, no spaces, at checkout using the link in our show notes. We know that you're going to love Primarily Pure as much as we do. Again, that's code HEARTANDHUSTLE for 10% off your order today. I love that there's just like, you girls just threw so many different like options at the person who's listening to this, who's like, okay, I don't even know you know, where to start. Like, I don't want to invest tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars into, you know, launching a a product shop or a product company. You know, where can I even start? You girls just gave so, so much there. Um, Pivoting maybe a tiny bit into, let's say somebody is on the verge of launching or they have had, you know, an Etsy shop for a couple of years or something like that. And they're really hoping to kind of start scaling Can you talk about marketing some products online? I know you guys said earlier uh, you're big believers in organic marketing and not as much like Facebook ads or anything like that. So do you want to dive into paid ads? Do you think those are necessary? Do you think those are good? Do you have input to give? I'm sure you do. So I'll just hand the mic over. (laughs) Um, If you have money to spend on ads and you know what you're doing or you can hire a team, We love that. We pay for ads. We have an incredible ads team um, that we work with. But what's so hard for so many of our product bosses is that they're startups and their cash is tied up in product. And that's the, that's the hardest part about being a product entrepreneur is that your cash, their cash flow is tight. Um, You're always kind of reinvesting into raw goods or back into product and trying to move the business forward. So that's why we really, for our audience, try and lean into organic marketing. Um, But if you can pay for ads and you can... I'm not talking about boosting posts. I'm talking about actually paying for ads with strategy around it. Then do it because there's a huge return there. Um, So, okay. So huge majority of our audience are Etsy sellers that then eventually want to kind of grow their business off of Etsy. And Mina and I always talk about not having all your eggs in one basket. And especially let's call it the Etsy basket because Mm -hmm. they can shut you down. It's not your platform. If there's a violation, if somebody complains and say that's copyrighted, um, they can just pull your store and then that turns off that, we call them faucets, that turns off that faucet and then is your business dead in the water? We saw that last year in 2020 with in-person, in-person markets, trade shows, all of that, retail shops, all of a sudden the brick and mortar or the in-person got shut down and people had to get online immediately. So we're really big believers in not having all your eggs in one basket. We know that one basket might be 
the strongest one, right? Like Mina's strongest one is Amazon, but she has a Shopify site. If you're on Etsy, that could be where you make, we have, we have the top 1% of Etsy that we work with um, in our masterminds that are amazing. You know, they make $4 million on Etsy, for example, but if Etsy were to shut down their $4 million business, what would happen? So then we believe in multiple streams of revenue for product-based businesses. So we have a course called Multi-Stream Machine. And what it teaches is like, here's your one major platform, but how do we diversify? How do we get you onto other sales channels? Not all of them all at once, but let's start with one new one and you lean and you try and grow it. Um, And what's cool about that when you get onto other sales platforms, so the Etsy seller starts their own Shopify site or the Etsy seller takes their best seller and they get onto Amazon. When you're on another platform, you get a new audience. Um, your own website, you have to bring the audience, but let's say you're selling to retailers or you're selling wholesale or you're on Amazon or um, you get into a subscription box format. Um, now you're in front of their audiences and that's going to grow your awareness and that's organic marketing, right? You're getting in front of new eyes, new eyeballs. Yeah. Um, and so we really believe that in other people's platforms and other people's audiences. And so it's that same way of collaborating, like Mina said, whether you're working with influencers or you're creating some sort of um, brand ambassador or affiliate program, and you're getting in front of other people's audiences to pull them in and to buy from you on whatever platform that you're selling on. Love that. I have another question. What is like, what would you say is the biggest misconception that you think people or just creative entrepreneurs or just entrepreneurs in general have like about about product shops in general, especially online? I think the biggest misconception is that um, you have to launch with a really big line or you have to launch selling a whole bunch of stuff to a whole bunch of people. Kind of like what Jacqueline was saying, that's the misconception that we get from a lot of people is that they feel like everybody, in order from them to be a legit business, they feel like they need all the things. Mm-hmm. When it actually is that they need to get really really good at selling the one thing to the one customer with the one message. And that is really what will make the most profit for them as a small business. I love that. I think there's so much to be said for that too, because it's, you know, you can confuse your audience by trying to be everything to everyone. And in today's day and age, there's so much stimulation online, especially with like online shopping. And if you're not careful to get very strategic and very clear on this is my, you know, one product or my one specific niche or offering. And this is what makes us different or me different. And this is how it's going to impact you or, you know, serve you or make your life better, enhance your experience or whatever. Um, People don't like to waste their mental energy online. So if they're coming across an ad or a product shop or something where it's confusing and there are too many options and they feel overwhelmed, people are just going to click away. So it's it's coming down to stripping it back to the bare bones and the foundation and really focusing your energy and your resources, your finances, your team, all of that into let's perfect this and let's market this really well. And then I think from there, product shop owners can slowly begin to expand a little bit more. Would you girls agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that people don't think that that's enough. Um, But a lot of the businesses we work with, one of them is Yearly Company, and she sells anniversary bangles, essentially milestone bangles. And so she is known for those bangles. And before, when she first started working with us, she was making every jewelry piece under the sun, hoop earrings, huggies, um, rings, a whole bunch of different size rings, white gold, um, yellow gold, all the different things. And we told her, you need to focus on the bangles because that is what you're known for. That's the really the why behind your business. And then she's done that and has scaled her business to a multi-million dollar business. Wow. So, and then she's created stories around it and testimonials and um, her messaging is beautiful, you know? So I think that people think that it's not enough to do that, but that's actually how as a small business, it becomes really clear. It becomes really clear who you're serving. It becomes really clear why you're doing it for yourself. And just, uh, you know, and the the customer never gets confused. They're like, hey, if you want bangles, anniversary bangles, milestone bangles, you should go to Yearly Co. They are the best for that. Yeah, 
I love that. I love that. I think you think of some of the biggest brands out there who've been some of the most successful, you know, Away Luggage or Nike or um, there are just so many to name, but they've specified or like specialized more accurately in like one or two products out of the gate and perfected that and marketed that with excellence and with intensity for, you know, months or years before they ever began to expand into any other products, which just kind of goes to show you, like we sit here as these small startup companies being like, okay, okay, I got to do everything. Like I I, got to start with like this big line and all these products and all these things because nobody will take me seriously otherwise. But I think sometimes we forget to look at the companies who have gone before us, who have really paved the way in a lot of things and succeeded and then (laughs) done really well. And we're like, oh, a lot of those have started with a very clear, like one to two products maybe, and done that well before expanding into anything else. Yeah. I think, um, you know, so many times when the mass public finally catches on to a brand, um, it's expanded, right? They've got marketing budgets and they're, they're huge at that point. I always talk about Juicy Couture. Mm -hmm. I know that, um, not everyone, I don't know. I don't know the age, the age range, but when we were in high school, um, we would wear these Juicy Couture, like tracksuit, like matching velour jumpsuits, you know, um, or in college, yes. I think. And, <laughs> and so that's what sold their company for, I think at that point they sold it for $200 million because trust me that those two women did not want to make another single tracksuit out of velour with puff <laughs> sleeves or capris or whatever they had to do before that, like, 10 years before they sold the company, I had gone to Fred Siegel in Los Angeles and I had bought a pair of denim jeans with Juicy Couture. They were Juicy Couture jeans. No one would have known that Juicy had denim prior to the mass rage of the like of the jumpsuits. They sold their business for $200 million because of those jumpsuits, because they were everywhere. And everything we saw after that, the expansion of it, the handbag lines, the brick and mortar stores, that's because I forget who bought them. Um, I'll look it up, but... Uh, you know, that's because a major, major corporation bought Juicy Couture and then expanded them. And not only did they expand them, they actually drove them into the ground because they expanded too much. They kind of like overexposed wow. themselves. So, um, so it's just something to realize that we oftentimes see something so, so far out there, right? Like so far past the time that they originated, but, um, but they, they, they were niche. They were known for something. Juicy was known for those tracksuits and that's what sold them. Yeah. Yeah. Wander Beauty. We all know Wander Beauty for those gold under eye um, masks that are mm-hmm. everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But yep. they actually started with their on the glow stick. That was the one product that they had. Wow. And so I think, you know, Jacqueline and I always say go deep and not wide. You really have to read what your audience is wanting from you. And it's okay that you don't have everything for everybody. And um, it doesn't mean that they're going to buy one makeup thing or one, even one bangle or one candle. Uh, You know, if they love candles, they're going to buy lots of candles in their lifetime. You don't have to be everything to that one customer. Well, and I think it almost, it goes against like our psychology of like, oh, well, if I want more customers, I have to offer more products. And that's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it's Liz Claiborne. So Liz Claiborne bought them. So if you want to compete with Liz Claiborne, you you do you. <laughs> but realize that. I also want to say something. What we don't realize is everybody has an unfair advantage. Yeah. So each of us has an unfair advantage. You ladies know photography, right? So you could have beautiful photographs because your unfair advantage is that you're Right. Are both of you photographers or only yeah. one? Yeah. Both. Yeah. yeah. Right. God help Mina and I who don't know how to pose and didn't grow <laughs> up in an Instagram realm. You know, it's like, I always feel so hey, awkward. Posing is a talent. Okay. And we have not obtained it. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so unfair advantages. I'm going to just go back to the Juicy Couture thing. One of the owners, you know who she was married to? Duran Duran. So oh, dang. So like when you think about these things, right, you think like, and, and let's say us in Los Angeles, I was connected to celebrities. Like I'd go out and there would be Paris Hilton, you know, like yeah. that's just where we were in, in being in LA. Like you kind of know people versus when I, I live in New Jersey now, I'm just out of sight of New York City. And my husband and I was like, remember the good old days when we used to go out and like we'd see people and we'd know people. And now we're, you know, kind of in the middle of New Jersey and there's not a lot happening. So what's your unfair advantage? Each of us have it, whether you know a celebrity or you worked with a celebrity or you grew up with someone, that's one way. Um, another way is that, you know, um, Mina, for me, when I look at her and I'm like, her unfair advantage is that she had a graphic design background. So she could easily and effortlessly create beautiful 
graphics um, mm-hmm. and create her little labels company without having to look for a designer and hire a designer. Plus, she also learned about commercial printing. So she was able to cre- like combine both of those where you and I might think, gosh, we're going to have to go hire a graphic designer and how do we even find a commercial printer? And that was sort of hers. So I think when you think about your business, whether your service or product, what's your unfair advantage and how can you lean into that? Because it's fair. We all have one. Yeah. Um, And how do you lean into that? Oh, that's so good. That's just such a good point. Yeah. Um, What would you guys say you think is the thing that often gets overlooked by business owners trying to scale their shops? Hmm. What gets overlooked when you're trying to scale your shops? Um, Oh, I have one. Oh, go, go. Um, Well, this is when they're trying to scale, the thing that gets overlooked, we've worked with thousands of businesses from startup all the way to multi-million. And the thing that they always overlook is themselves. So Mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of mindset stuff that happens, especially for product businesses. You feel really alone. There's super amounts of reinvestment that happens compared to a service-based business. There's um, so many different things as far as mindset, you you know, imposter syndrome and um, just all these things that get into your head, like, am I doing the right things? What am I supposed to be doing? But they overlook that they actually have to invest in themselves too. This comes more innate to a service-based business, I feel like. So a service-based business, they'll be like, oh, I am the product that I'm selling and I need to take care of myself. I need to up-level myself or I need to, you know, invest in a coach or whatever it is. That is like against... Uh, the thinking of a product business. They're like, oh, I can hide behind my product. I actually don't need to work on myself and I never really have to invest in that. So a good part of like our masterminds and, um, you know, the things that we talk about, though they don't pay for the mindset, it really is that they need the mindset work. They need the self-awareness work. So they always overlook the fact that they're the ones that are going to lead the business the vehicle to their dream life. And so they need support. They need um, to invest in themselves and they need to understand like, how is it that I work? You know, Jacqueline and I have a partnership and we work very differently, um, but we're very... um, cognitive of getting self, self-aware, but aware of how we work together. So, you know, our personalities, our um, Colby scores, our Myers-Briggs, our um, how we do the team and how we approach problems, all these different things. That, and, and we actually have other coaches and we have, um, you know, retreats that we go to, things like that, that we work on ourselves individually as well as together. And I think that for product people, they don't, ever think that they need to do it until they're like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing. Yeah. Community is so vital. I think no matter what kind of entrepreneur you are and just support and learning and growing. So I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. I mean, our community is really um, one that we've been super proud of. Um, We've really cultivated a community of collaboration over competition, really pushing for that you become each other's companions and support system and that there's room at the top for all of us. That's our saying that we end all of our presentations or webinars or, you know, speeches or anything that we give is there's room at the top for all of us because it feels like there isn't when you're a candle company, you're in a sea of candle companies, right? But really, realistically, you have each other. And just like, as I mentioned before, just because one person buys your candle doesn't mean that they're not going to buy a different candle. That Mm -hmm. candle looks different. It feels different. It emotes a different sort of feeling for that customer. So really think, Thinking about, you know, that um, your community that you build around you is really going to, that ultimately can be your unfair advantage Yeah, is that you're, you've inserted yourself into the right community. Uh, I love that. I've even from, you know, personal experience launching Evie Swim and just, you know, the learning curve that went into it. I've been so, so grateful for the friends that I've had around me and the mentors and the consultants that I've brought on. People who know the industry, who know like those moments when it's like so frustrating with like a manufacturer who's not sticking to their deadline or, you know, there's a problem with part of the construction of one of the pieces or, you know, something like that. You're able to like call up those people and be like, or we're running into this problem or like, I'm so frustrated with this situation and to have those people coming alongside and supporting and encouraging and understanding. Cause I feel like 
maybe it was just me and my journey through like, you know, photography and then coaching and like all the, all this stuff, but I never felt like a lack of community around me in the service-based community whatsoever. But once I stepped into product, it was like such a different world that I was like, oh, there's, it's not like every single person I know is doing some sort of product shop. Like it's, it felt a little bit more rare that I had to like be more intentional to find that community. And I feel like it really does make such a difference in the journey of product shops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Absolutely. it. Fun. Okay. Well, you ladies are just a gold mine of information. I feel like we could sit here talking to you for hours on end. Um, but we love to kind of start wrapping up the interview with one of like probably the biggest question. <laughs> it's like the most juicy. Uh, what do you girls feel each of you have learned in your years of business? Like what's the biggest lesson that you've kind of figured out? Um, for me, it's asking for help and getting help. And and really that idea of feeling alone. I was thinking about that this morning. Um, I had my business for 10 and a half years before I ever hired a coach or took a course or joined a mastermind. Um, and, and I came from the fashion world, right? So it's wow. probably like how you're feeling where it felt competitive. You know, you're at yeah. markets and you're picking fabric and you're like, does that person have the fabric? And, yep. Yep. you know, <laughs> it, it is, it is competitive. There is competition there, but we also believe like Mina said, there's room at the top for everyone. I mean, we all own, you know, Nike and other sneakers. We all own, you know, we own a lot of stuff. If you own bathing yeah. suits, you don't just own one brand. Yeah. Um, so but for me as a business owner, um, I think a lot of times I do feel alone, even though I'm like from a really big family and everything. So it's a weird mindset thing. And so if, if I had had access to coaches, to mindset, to courses, to like kind of learn, like Mina said, like invest in myself earlier, I think I could have saved myself a lot of heartache and despair and worry um, by realizing one, there's other people out there feeling the exact same way at all revenue levels that I can get help. And that that help is, it does, it doesn't make you like weak or that you don't know enough, but rather it just, it it allows for clarity Um, and to continue with community, right? Like if it feels uncomfortable, it's something that you need. And so, you know, that's why me and I, when we started, we're biz besties. I do well kind of with like a singular relationship. but then I was in a mastermind with eight women that I'll turn to still, I'll come to, you know, years later and um, go to them and, you know, ask for advice in different ways or just that connection. So I think it was operating alone to then no longer, op- never, ever again in my life, like operating alone and realizing the benefits there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, operating alone is is so super lonely. I think for me, the biggest lesson that I learned was that there's always seasons uh, I kind of learned this just from being a mom too, is that it is ever evolving. And I, for a long time, thought that it was, once I figured something out, it would hit and it would carry me through. But but it actually was never that way. It's like when you're first starting out, you're testing and trying. And then you dip your toe in and you're like figuring out, oh, I need a team now. And so you're doing your first hires. And then the next season is, okay, now that I'm making some money, how do I actually pay myself? What do I need to invest in? What do I need to you know up-level myself as the visionary of the business? you know, in. And then you get to like, let's say the million mark. And that's when you really think about, okay, where am I investing into, you know, um, in basically operations and um, really, you know, leadership team and all these different things. So it's ever evolving. And I think that there's different decisions you have to make to get to the next level. It's not the same decisions every single time. Mm -hmm. And it's just a different season for all of it. And then you have to build in your different support at each stage. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I always kept thinking, you know, okay, have this team and then I'm done. But in actuality, is the team that I have when I'm 100,000 the same as the team that I have when I'm a million? It's not. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I think just like you said, we think that, oh, like once I reach this level, I'll never have to do anything hard again. Or, oh, (laughs) once I make six figures. or right? Once I get to a million in revenue, I'll be set. And it's like, more problems come, the more money you make and the more (laughs) responsibility you have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Different problems. Yeah. 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 Exactly. (laughs) More intense problems that are higher stakes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You ladies have been so much fun to talk to this entire hour. I just, I glean so much knowledge. I know 
Evie did. I know our listeners did as well. Like you guys are the real deal. So can you drop your handles, drop your website, drop all the things that people can come and find you and check you out, listen to your podcast, check out your mastermind courses, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so we're the product boss. It's the productboss.com. Um, we also have this really cool thing. It's called a year of content. So if you are a product-based business and you're trying to think like, what do I say to my customers without sounding salesy to show up on social media? Um, I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, we have a year of content. So it's a year of content.com and we give you, you know, an entire year of things to talk about to sell more products. And tip, it's not buy, 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 buy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it talks around the product and the benefits of the product and, you know, and then there's a call to action. So I would say those are two really great ways. Listen to the podcast. We give away so much information. We really like to be workshop, but like fun and friendly, kind of the same way as your podcast. Um, And if anything, um, you can always connect with us on social media. So we're at the product boss. But what we'd love for all of you to do is also go and follow the shop one and five pledge. We're really trying to build the the pledge there. And it's going to take all of us sharing it with our communities and asking people to take the pledge and sharing the small businesses that are in the directory. We're relaunching it this fall. So there are going to, it's like a whole new platform. It's going to be amazing. And that's sort of our give back to small businesses to really support them in getting that visibility. So that's shop1in5.com. You can spell out the word one in five or the numbers one in five. It's both ways work. Um, and follow us on, on Instagram and say hi over there. Amazing. Perfect. Mina, Jacqueline, you girls are incredible. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time today and all the freaking information you just dropped. Thank Thank you so much for having us. us.